0: Welcome to episode one of our chapel podcast series, Fruit of the Spirit. This week, we will hear an introduction to the fruits brought to you by Trinity College, Queensland, presented by Dr. John Frederick. As we come to hear the word of God preached, I just want us to pray together. And I want to pray as we start the semester that there would be a familial sense of God's peace, not an external idea of peace, but an inward peace that he has poured into your hearts by the Holy Spirit. And I want that to be evident in this community. And I'm asking God to do that in a special way this semester. He already does it for us. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. But I want to ask God to make that tangible in our lives through each other this semester. And to bring that to bear even today. To feel his presence and his peace in us. So let's pray for the illumination of the word. Lord God, holy God, living God, loving God. You inspired the authors of Holy Scripture to speak wisdom, not only to their age, but to all ages. And for that wisdom to point to your son, Jesus Christ. And you said, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, Lord. And so we know that peace with God, that we're not at enmity with God. We're learning to experience that peace with each other, that we're not to be envious and divisive towards one another. And give us a sense of that peace and reconciliation today in a season of uncertainty and separation that continues, Lord, across this country and across the world. That the peace of the Holy Spirit will be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love Holy Scripture. I love to teach you about it for two hours, which is what I intend to do after this. Um, so if you have me in class, that will be, um, I hope, your privilege. Um, but we shall, we shall see. We shall see what kind of mood you're in, what kind of mood I'm in. The Fruit of the Spirit is an amazing text. I spent three years in Scotland studying about Paul's ethics, which includes virtue catalogs, as they're called like these, and comparing those to the Greco-Roman world. I think it's important to do that because it raised an important point for me when I came to this text. And I should say, I take Scripture to be the Word of God and inspired by the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean I just open it up, dump it into my brain without thinking, and just say, yep, that's it. I want to ask, how does it affect my life and the people that I live around, my neighbors, my family? How can I rightly understand the word of God so that I can communicate it well and live it out to other people? And when I come to Galatians 5, it's kind of a strange situation for me. It seems like a cut and dry text. A lot of people interpret it in the Christian community in something like this kind of fashion. The works of the flesh are life in the world apart from Christ. And those who have the Spirit can do virtue, like goodness and peace and kindness and gentleness and self-control. You need the Spirit to do those things. Without the Spirit, you cannot achieve moral character or virtue. Now, that on the face of it sounds pretty okay as we look at Galatians. But when I start to think about my lived experience in life as a human person, what does that say about my neighbors? Is it my experience... Of my neighbors, confession, I don't know most of my neighbors. I'm not even sure neighborhoods exist anymore. I'm postmodern after all. Okay. <laughs> We're separated from each other and trying to get back together. What, do, what does it say about my neighbors to say, well, only the Christian with the spirit can be good. <laughs> only the Christian can be kind and gentle and self-controlled. Everyone else is involved in sorcery. Everyone else, I think the word was in the NRSV, carousing, but Rachel's translation had the the interesting orgies. Everyone else is involved. All of my Australian non-Christian agnostic neighbors are orgy-attending, sexually deviant sorcerers, after all, is what Galatians is telling But since I'm a Christian, I'm able to lead by the Spirit and achieve goodness and kindness. Now, that strikes me as very strange. Why? Because it's untrue in my experience of my neighbors that non-Christian people cannot achieve a well-balanced life, a seemingly human virtue that allows them to have a well-functioning life. They can be pretty successful people, Muslim people, Buddhist people, Agnostics They can achieve those sort of things. So the idea that the spirit allows me to do that only as a Christian strikes me as problematic. Now I'm going to solve the problem, hopefully, <laughs> or Paul's going to. I didn't write this after all. So if you're angry with this, you blame the Apostle Paul. The other side of it is that I look at Christians often, and the works of the flesh, which are supposed to mark out, if you think this way, the people of the world, well, isn't it the case that we often find them evident in the church? Sexual abuse, sexual immorality in the church. Divisiveness. That never happens in the church. (laughs) No, 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 no. You know, no. We have problems with sexual abuse. We have problems with divisiveness. We have problems with all sorts of things. Idolatry. False belief in the church. And so it cannot be like some Christian ethicists talk about. That Paul is really talking here about the building of character. And the only way as a human being that you're going to build characters is if you become a Christian. Because it seems preposterous to say no one else is capable of such a minuscule thing as kindness and goodness. I don't know about you, when I look at the fruits of the Spirit, aside from what I know love means, they do not seem that difficult to achieve to the average Homo sapien creature. Do you know what I'm saying? And if you look at Aristotle in the ancient world, who is not a Christian, who was writing way before the Christians, he wrote a book called The Nicomachean Ethics. And he talks about what it means to be a virtuous person. And it's not sorcery and sexual immorality. It's real virtue. It's goodness. It's seeking the middle ground between being too angry and being not angry enough about injustice. So the problem cannot be that it's about them and us. It's about A tale of two people, the non-Christian versus the Christian. And what I'm going to suggest today is that what Paul's talking about in the fruit of the Spirit, which we'll unpack over the semester, is not a tale of two different kinds of people, the unbeliever and the believer. It's a tale of two kinds of powers at work in human beings. It's a tale of two kinds of powers, what Paul calls the flesh, and for Christians, the Spirit. The Spirit. It's a tale of two kinds of powers, but not just two kinds of powers. It's a tale of two different directions. Life lived inwardly focusing on the cultivation of even good things like character in the self apart from the other. And life lived toward the other, which paradoxically builds us up in the very character that we want to pursue. Have you ever noticed that when you focus on virtue, you usually fail? When you focus on law, what law usually tells you is that you've fallen short. I think the gospel has a better word for us today. I think Paul, as an apostle of Jesus, has a better word. So let's look at that first restructuring of how we look at the fruit of the Spirit. Not as about character formation, collect them all, individual things that we build up inside of ourselves to the exclusion of others, but as the very means of participating in God and moving beyond mere humanity to being sons and daughters of the living God. Existing not just as homo sapien creatures, that is something more that God intends for everyone, for all of our neighbors. And that we can see in small bits when they pursue a life of virtue as opposed to the flesh, which we all deal with. Paul says at the beginning of Galatians in chapter 1 that he received the gospel not through human beings, but from a revelation from God. As we go on into chapter two, which I can't go through all the texts today because Paul Jones has given me 20 minutes. And if I go over, it's not going to be a pretty thing and you're all going to be hungry. Chapter two, Paul deals with justification by faith. You've heard of this, right? Mm -hmm. If not, it's pretty important. So make sure you read it. And justification by faith, Paul's point is, I'm not in a right relationship with God because I'm Jewish, because I keep the Jewish law, or because I do anything. I'm in a right relationship with God Because of Jesus Christ and my trust in him. It's nothing that I source. It's nothing in my power. It's nothing that I perform. It's everything that he's done. It's everything in his power. It's everything that he's performed. And my faith grabs on to that for dear life. Because outside of that, the only resource I have to fight the sinful nature is myself. And that is futile and a failure and leads to death. The wages of sin. Sorry, I'm very excited today. (laughs) But the main point as we go on is that this theme continues throughout Galatians. Now, why is it important that we do the survey of Galatians? Well, we're reading a passage in Galatians. And because if we take Galatians 5 as about character formation of me as opposed to others, we're ripping Galatians 5 out of its context and putting it in the context of character formation of Aristotle of how we think it should function. And let's see how it's functioning, though. Paul, in chapter 3 in Galatians, then says this in verse 2, and I'll read it to you. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun with the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? Or as Rachel's translation had, the sinful nature? Are you telling me you're going to complete what God started in your own power? Which in any case is marred by sin and in slavery to sin? Are you saying you're going to complete what God did and and contribute to that and and add to that? Well, congratulations. You must be pretty impressive. No, Paul saying you cannot do that. In fact, he says at the end of chapter 2 that he himself, Paul says, I, ego. I have been crucified with Christ. It is not about me. It is Christ who lives in me, by which I live in the Spirit. So Paul's theology of the self is not, hey, i got to build up these virtues, man. Patience, not so good. I'm pretty kind, though. Sexual, I'm not a sorcerer, but I still sort of like magic. So we got to work on that. This is not how Paul thinks of ethics, a list of holy do's and don'ts. Those are important, but we're going to see that Paul's emphasis is on power, Are we empowered by ourselves and by our flesh and by the sinful nature? Or are we empowered by the spirit? Secondarily, the direction is the direction of our moral life inward, apart from the other. Or is it outward for the sake of the other? I think you know where I'm going with this, right? Let's go to Ephesians 5 now that we've sort of set that up. Ephesians 5 begins with uh, 5.16. I'll read it again. This is NRSV. But I say, walk by the spirit. Do not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other. And he goes on and on. And then he goes into the whole list. Now, here's what I want to say in ancient Judaism. Have you heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? They're not in the Bible, but they're Jews at the time. When you read documents like that, you read about the two spirits, an evil spirit and a good spirit. And that sounds a little bit like what Paul's doing here. Here's the thing. It was not a tale of two persons, non-Jews, and Jews necessarily are non-Christians and Christians in our, in our language. It was a tale of two powers, an evil power and a good power. And if you gave yourself over to the evil power, how would you walk? In the ways of the Gentiles, in the ways of sin, in the ways of sexual immorality, in the ways of sorcery, and all these other things. And if you lived according to the good power, the good spirit, then you would be faithful to God. What Paul is doing in Galatians 5 is thinking like a first century Jew, not like a 21st century moralist. He's thinking like a first century Jew. And so what he sees is instead of two types of persons, two types of powers. And that's the first thing that we have to ask, because you may say, look, me as a Christian, I don't struggle with sorcery. I don't struggle with orgies. I don't struggle with all this other stuff. Right. Uh, I'm assuming. Um, But there's a wide spectrum of problems in Christianity. But here's the thing. If you look in your heart, all of those mark the temptations that we face. There is not a person in this room, I would imagine, who hasn't had some struggle in the realm of lust or sexual immorality or these sort of things. You know, the lingo in the Christian world is, oh, you get married and then everything's fine. It's sometimes, that's not the case, right? Temptation still lurks because sin is dwelling in your body. You cannot escape it. The only way to escape it is through the spirit. The best that the world can do is keep it at bay. But here's my point. Paul is not saying that only Christians can be good people. The world can keep sin at bay and live a morally virtuous life by all accounts. But Paul wants to do more than have well-functioning human beings. He wants us to be sons and daughters of living God. And so he wants us to go beyond a basically not sinning posture to a posture where we're living by the power of God. Now, not in the future, in heaven, now. And he's given us the spirit to do that. And so it's two kinds of powers, not two kinds of person, but it's also two kinds of direction. Where would I get that idea? Well, I get it from the text and I'll, I shall show you. When you're reading Galatians 5, if you look at Galatians 5, verse uh, 13 and following. Now, why would we do that? I thought the verses were 16 through 26. Why do you want to go ahead and now add extra verses? (laughs) It's the sort of stuff you do in your classes, John. Don't add extra material. (laughs) I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm not sorry, because it's the Bible. (laughs) I don't repent. In the name of Jesus. For you were called to freedom, brethren. This is the RSV. Brothers and sisters. (laughs) Okay, this is the Bible they gave me when I was ordained. So it's got some old language in it. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, be servants of yourself. No, through love, be servants of one another. That is what precedes the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. It's not a focus on yourself. It's a focus on the other. And through focusing on the self, the image that Jesus is going to give us, and I'll go there in one second to wrap this thing up. Is it through focusing on the other, what is inside gets built up? Christian ethicists sometimes think like Aristotle with a bit of the Holy Spirit. But the problem then is we smuggle in all the good stuff from Aristotle and we keep it off from the rest of the world. And we have to look at everyone else like a a crazy, terrible human being. Rather than a, a person that God has come into the world to die and rise on behalf of. And we start to think we alone can be ethical, which isn't the case, as we've seen. But look at what it says here in Galatians 5. Then I'm going to take you to Jesus, and then we're going to uh, wrap up. It says that those who behave according to the works of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who work according to the flesh will not... This is serious stuff. Some people want to say, uh, well, I'm a universalist, or something they'll say, and so there is no judgment. Be careful. Be careful if you want to go there. Because then you have to look at every text like this from Paul. And yes, Jesus does this a lot. And you have to say, it's like when John tells his daughter he's going to take all her Barbies away. She knows I'm not going to. It's an empty threat. Right? And even, she knows this so well now that even when I take the Barbies away, she says, go ahead. Take them away. <laughs> She's five years old. Talk about the sinful nature, man. She needs the spirit, right? And some new Barbies. This thing keeps working. No, you know, this is the issue. When when we are told, you will not inherit the kingdom of God, I do not want to suggest to you that Paul is like, I'm just kidding. Here's all your Barbies back. or, Or whatever you care about. It's actually God saying through the apostle, Those who live according to the flesh are walking into the wages of that, Romans says, which is death. It's not like you've been naughty, you will be judged. No, it is you're living in a way that's killing you. That moving from fidelity to promiscuity is killing you. Moving into idolatry from the right worship of God is killing you. Moving into divisiveness within the church or outside the church is killing you and it's killing other people. It's killing your soul. And it's not you'll not inherit the kingdom of God because you haven't you've been on the naughty list this year, and so you're not getting nothing for Christmas. No, you are killing yourself with the sin that you commit, but God has come into the world not to make you a perfect little boy or little girl, but to be perfect on your behalf, to incorporate you into himself by the Spirit and into His people, and then look at the direction of the inheritance of the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 25. And this is where I'm going to end. You go, why would you go to Matthew 25? Matthew 25 talks about inheriting the kingdom. And sometimes we say, we're just going to listen to Paul and we leave Jesus out. As if Jesus is sort of bashful about speaking into these things. It's like, shh, shh, shh Jesus, I'm listening to St. Paul. And Jesus is like, I too have something to say. And here's what Jesus says. In Matthew 25, he talks about separating the sheep and the goats. And you're like, that couldn't be judgment. Okay. We'll talk about that another day. But Jesus says this, that the ones who will inherit the kingdom, this is verse 34, are the ones who from the foundation of the world, when Jesus was hungry, gave him food. When Jesus was thirsty, gave him something to drink. When Jesus was a stranger... They welcomed Jesus. When he was naked, they clothed Jesus. When he was sick, they visited Jesus. When Jesus was in prison, they came to visit him. The direction of the sanctification of the individual is not a salvation solo project focused on acquiring a set of things. The direction of the spirit led person is away from the self toward the other. So that through serving the other in love, we might become like the God who is love. God's goal in calling you is not to say, look at Ephesians, look at Galatians 5. There's two types of people, non-Christians and Christians. You want to be the good ones, be Christians. It's not even a set of behaviors primarily. It's to induct you into the life of God. So that you would be sons and daughters, which you are by faith in the spirit. Jesus shows us that it's not just the power of the Spirit by which we inherit the kingdom. That's where it starts. But it's the direction that it faces us. And here's the paradox. We'll end with this. I probably went over 20 minutes. Um, But this is the paradox. We'll end with this. That when we focus externally, everything internally that Paul talks about as the fruit of the Spirit starts to be formed in us. Did you see in Galatians 4 where Paul talks about Christ is being formed in us? He's being formed in us. It's not we who live anymore. It's not the ego, I. I'm not sourcing it. I'm not empowering it. And the direction is not inside of me. The direction is living out the spirit to others. And through that, being conformed to the image of his son. He wants to make you sons and daughters of the living God. To form a family resemblance with him. And not merely with Aristotle. It's something altogether different than ethics. It's eternal life. It's not a tale of two persons. It's a tale of two powers. It's not a tale of two persons. It's a tale of two directions. And I want you to direct yourselves, friends, brothers, and sisters, with me as we fail in this. More and more away from ourselves toward the other. So that we might become like the God who died on the cross for those who are other than himself. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. That you forgive our sins like going too long on a sermon. <laughs> but we do it for the sake of others, Lord. And for their sake alone. Now, Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. We represent people from all different parts of this planet. And we're connected with people all over the place. And so help us, Lord, to operate by the power of the Spirit. Not merely to be well-functioning human beings, but to be sons and daughters of the living God. And help us to direct ourselves away from ourselves, even the good things like becoming holy. That we wouldn't be fixated on ourselves, but would fix our eyes on Jesus. And by doing that, we would say, there is need. Turn me to the world and let me bless the world so that you can be formed in me for their sake and for our joy in you. In Jesus' name, amen. This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.